Hey, veterans. Welcome to the VA Claims Insider Podcast. We are veterans helping veterans get the VA disability rating and compensation you deserve. I'm your host, Air Force Service Disabled Veteran Brian Reese, and each week we share VA disability claim tips, tricks, strategies, and lessons learned to help you win, service connect, and get rated at the appropriate level, even if you've already filed or been denied. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Insiders, veterans worldwide, East Coast to West Coast, North and South. It is the VCE Experience Friday Night Live. We have a star-studded cast. We have the one and only, the man, the myth himself, the one that probably got you here in the first place, Mr. <laughs> Brian Reese. <laughs> What's up, guys? I, hey, insiders. From my camera, he's over here. Maybe on yours, it might be different. <laughs> we have the one and only Dr. Sally Sharp. You may have worked with her. You may have heard about her. She is here live today. Uh, I am David Pineda, your brand ambassador and VCE uh, extraordinaire here for another live edition. And I'll let my co-hosts introduce themselves. Hey, what's going on, Insiders Mastermind Group, all the good folks out there. It's your VCE's favorite VCE. <laughs> Brett Robinson, a.k.a. Brett James on Facebook. Holla at your boys. Proud to serve. Proud to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Chris Borm here, uh, your veteran claims expert and your favorite VCE. Uh, there he goes. <laughs> I think I did, I think I did better week. this time. I think yeah. I got him. I think I did better this. He got me last week, but I think I got him this week. I got, I got him. I got, I got, I got you. I got you. Director of Operations of the Veteran Claims Insider and uh, awfully more than proud to serve. And freshly trimmed. Yeah, you, you shaved that beard. I just noticed that. You look, you, all right. Yeah, I see you that. look, you look kept now, Chris. You look kept. Oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> boogers out your eyes. And yeah. Oh, DP shaved up a little bit too. Okay. No, no, no. I dyed my beard for this. I dyed my beard for this. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. Salt and pepper. <laughs> Touch of gray. Yep. Uh, Ronis will be here in a little bit. So you get him as well. So uh, we wanted to really just kind of start the conversation off and, and really introduce. Uh, Dr. Sharp, uh, kind of give her a little bit to speak about her background, kind of, you know, what brought her to all to doing the work she, she, she does, um, and kind of introduce her for those that don't know her. So uh, we'll kind of start there. Then we will want to have uh, Brian touch on, uh, based on some admin notes and things that have come up in the group that we'll address live as well. So uh, there's a lot of pressing questions. If you have questions, we have some already fielded for Dr. Sharp, but feel free to post them in the comment section. Um, as well as feel free to join us in a Zoom link. It's posted in the description. And if you want to join us live, we'll bring you on as well. Um, so Dr. Sharp, let's start uh, with where did you go to school? What's your background? How long have you been practicing? Um, and how did you come about coming to VA Claims Insider to network and work with us helping veterans? Oh, I don't hear you, Dr. Sharp. Nope. You're unmuted. She may have her volume down to her end. Probably. Oh, now, okay, you're unmuted now. Okay. There you go. You're good. Okay. 
All right, so I went to college, uh, did my undergrad at Baylor. Uh, that's where I met my ex-husband and started my 22-year career as a Air Force spouse and doing all the things that spouses to make sure that you get to move where you want to move, right? Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. we, um, we had made the decision when we got married that as long as we could afford for one of us to stay home with the kids, that that's what we would do. So when my youngest started preschool, I went back to grad school um, and went through the process of getting two master's degrees and then a PhD with a specialization in neuropsychology. Um, We've been divorced for about five years. Um, So the kids and I are on our own path. And um, part of my postdoc, I worked for the um, Veterans Health and Trauma Center at UCCS, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs on a research study. Um, So working with veterans um, who had PTSD and TBIs. Uh, So that was part of my training process. Um, Then I transitioned into practicing psychology and um, just on a fluke, (laughs) put out a job um, application and Brian saw it. Uh, So we started talking and um, this sounded like an opportunity that I wanted to continue as far as working with veterans and having a chance to really connect with people. So started off very part-time to begin with um, and now I've gone full-time. So I'm here for the long haul and um, really enjoy what I'm doing. Well, we we love you, but I think one thing that it's to stress here, so you were a military spouse. So you've seen from a clinical aspect, working with veterans, you know, those key things, but also just being a spouse. So you've been around the military and you've seen things beyond before you even began to practice. So I think that's something huge that resounds with people to know for a fact that, you know, you're just not a psychologist, for example, that is familiar or has worked, but rather you have an intimate knowledge of service by being a spouse, which arguably is essentially as hard as serving because you essentially have to wear your own, you know, uniform to kind of hold it down in the home, in the home front. Oh, absolutely. One of his assignments was at um, the NATO base in Naples. So we got to work with Army, Air Force, Marines, Navy um, from all U.S. branches, but then also branches from around the world. Um, and that was just absolutely a fascinating experience. Um, but yeah, it's hmm. it's nice to know some of the language. I'm learning uh, Navy as fast as I can because um, the rank <laughs> structure is completely different. Trust me, I, it's, still, it's still confusing <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, but I know what a bosun's mate is now. Um, I've heard that enough that I figured that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the difference between being artillery and field artillery because it's a difference. Um, and then the Marine Corps rank structure. Um, I'm, I'm still working on that one too, but I, I'm getting there. Awesome. So, yeah. so, so that's a good, so a good segue. So Brian, when you saw Dr. Sharp out there, what are some of the things that said that stuck out to you that you said, Hey, you know what? I, we need her to serve our veterans. Oh man, we, we, we scooped her up right away. In fact, I, I can't remember how fast I responded to you, Dr. Sharp, but I, it was pretty fast. And uh, you're right though. She, the thing that really resonated with the background was she was out in Colorado and she had that experience at UCCS, which for me as a cadet, uh, you know, back for a couple of years, four years, that's right down the road. So having that experience in trauma, PTSD and TBI. And then of course, once we got on the phone and chatted about it, she shared the background about being a mill spouse. And 
I mean, it, basically, when you're a male spouse, you get it. You understand sometimes a lot more even than the veteran themselves does. Um, I stated in the live video we did just the other day that I give so much credit to girlfriends, boyfriends, spouses, exes. It doesn't matter if you were around with somebody in the military, odds are you, you bore some brunt of what they were going through. And in a, a lot of times, it's also mental health stuff, anger, panic, depression, anxiety. There's so many issues that happen. And so the fact that though that she could speak the lingo, she had the background and experience working with veterans, was a male spouse herself, um, it was a slam dunk. And so, you know, she started with us very part time because she was transitioning out of another job that she, she didn't love and didn't have a lot of flexibility. And so, you know, we were patient with her of just kind of slowly opening the aperture and giving her more appointments, giving her more experience with how we do this. And now, I mean, you're, you're number one, Dr. Sharp. I mean, you're, you're doing an unbelievable job serving our veterans, right? Yes. The, what the end product is, is an independent psychological evaluation, a forensic evaluation. They get a DBQ, a diagnosis, a nexus. That's all awesome right? But it's who you are as a human being. It's how you connect. It's how you make veterans feel comfortable so they can open up. That is what is so value add and why you're such a blessing to our community. So thank you. Yeah, and and I, have to, I have to add, Brian, to that, that one of the things, the first thing that struck me about Dr. Sharp as a VCE was she had a, a psyche valve, one of my clients, immediately she reached out to me and says, keep an eye on this guy, make sure he gets help. And that follow-up care that goes beyond the DBQ, because it's like you said, it's great that we're going for the increase and whatnot, but the fact of the matter is there's more to it than just that. Uh, and there are instances where we do have veterans that are really hurting, that need to be monitored, that need to be kept a little closer eye on to make sure that they reach out and get additional resources. And having the ability to have the psych call you afterwards, send you a text and say, hey, I just spoke to B. Reese, and you know what? Make sure that he gets these resources. I'm going to send him. Make sure you support him. That kind of really pushes what our mission is. We are veterans, helping right. veterans, and being able to have more than the DBQ, but someone to actually yeah. care and follow up with what's happening with the veterans, I think is priceless. So that's one of the things I have to highlight, which happens a lot with our veterans. Um, you know, and I think others need to hear that as well, to know that it doesn't just stop with the eval, but there is an aftercare and monitoring yeah. and things like that that does happen. Man, love it. Absolutely true. Um, so that's actually a good segue. So I know Brian, so Brian, I want to just kind of, you know, talking about the DBQ, if you can expound, I know you put a post up, the question has come up a few times, so we can kind of hit it head yeah. on. Um, when it comes to the validity, does it comes to some of the myths that are out there that you dispelled? Can you please just kind of touch on that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I get it, right? I get it, guys. Uh, especially when we're talking about mental health claims with the VA, whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder, first time, increase. Uh, maybe it's a, a chronic pain, somatic symptom disorder, secondary to something else. Um, occasionally, okay, there are going to be denials, right? We've talked about this before. We, we don't win every claim. Uh, we're very good at what we do. We're very successful, but we don't win them all. Uh, and I can tell you guys, the reason that we don't win them all is usually because of a bad CNP exam, okay? Uh, and so this is a, a great point to talk about the rating decision letter. What happens if you see a denial 
right? And then how you can fight back, okay? So let me frame it up though in a higher, higher 30,000 foot view for you. The independent psychological evaluation done via video teleconference, okay, whether it was done in person or whether it was done over video teleconference does not matter, okay? It is the single smartest decision you guys can make for your VA disability claim, okay? Bottom line, hands down, the single smartest decision you can make, okay? And the reason why I say that, guys, is you hear me talk about all the time the three things, the requirements for a mental health condition, right? You've got to have a diagnosis of a condition. You have to have a clear nexus to connect it either to some in-service injury, incident, combat deployment, et cetera, uh, or to another service-connected disability if you're going secondary, right? So that's part two. And then part three, where a lot of veterans fail is they don't have their symptoms clearly documented, okay? So within the disability benefit questionnaire that you're going to get back from a, one of our independent uh, psychs, they're going to clearly document all the symptoms you have. And those symptoms tie directly to the symptoms listed under CFR 38, okay? That is how mental health conditions are rated. Um, and of course, then the most important block that they're going to check on your DBQ is the part that talks about your level of occupational and social impairment, okay? There is not a direct, direct correlation to the box that check and the rating that you get, but it's pretty doggone close, okay? So, uh, so those three things, okay? Single smartest decision you're going to make is doing this evaluation Yes, it's over video teleconference. And I know there's been some concern that, wait a second, I got called by somebody at the VA, right? And, and they said it's, it's not valid, right? Or I got denied, right? I've heard of other people, the VA is denying disability claims. And they're saying the reason they're denying them is because the exam was conducted over video teleconference, okay? So two things. The hilarity in all of this is that the VA themselves are starting to use telemedicine and telehealth to do their own CNP exams. Okay. I'm not talking about a DBQ with a private doctor. I'm talking about the actual compensation and pension exam with the VA. Some of those are now being done with telemed, video teleconference. Okay which is smart. That's the way that the world of medicine is going, all right? In private industry, medicine is moving toward that direction. The issue that we have, if there is an issue at all, it isn't an issue, but it's in the regulation, okay? So M21-1, if you guys have never checked that out or, or heard about it, uh, we actually have a web property called M21-1.com, which has it all listed in website format, but you can also just Google M21-1 VA Adjudication Procedures Manual, okay? That governing document is the entire regulation that VA raters, so VSRs, veteran service reps, and then our VSRs, rating veteran service reps, they follow those guidelines, okay? That's their regulation for how they process and look at claims that implements statute right? Statute is 38 CFR, the law, M21-1 implements how they review and rate claims. If you dig deep into 
uh, evaluations, right? And it's, I think it's under the, the disability evaluation section. It actually states in there that a disability benefit questionnaire completed by a private provider that's a method other than in person, so video teleconference or on the telephone, is not valid for rating purposes. Okay, now I'm going to caveat what that means. Some people take that to mean it's illegal, right? Some people take it to mean this is going to hurt my claim. Some people take it to mean I shouldn't have done this. I wasted my time and money. Okay, I'm telling you right now, that's completely false on all accounts. It is 100% legal. There's nothing wrong with it. By regulation, the issue is that a VA rater should not take the DBQ conducted by video teleconference on its own to rate your mental health claim. Okay, I'm gonna say that one time, one more time for effect. What it actually means is the VA rater, the RVSR, is technically not allowed to use a DBQ that was conducted over video teleconference on its own to rate your claim, okay? So what does that actually mean? It means nothing because 99% of all of your disability claims are gonna have what's called a compensation and pension exam, a CNP exam, right? So that is the in-person exam where the psychologist or psychiatrist completes the same DBQ that Dr. Sharp or Dr. Swanholm or Dr. Nolan or whoever else did yours, they do the same exact one in electronic format on their computer, okay? So let me step back though, again, as to why though this DBQ is so important. Once you get a CNP exam, the fact of the matter, guys, is you have presented medical evidence that's 100% legal and adequate, that shows whether it's the compensation pension examiner, the VA rater, or both, that you have a diagnosis, there is a nexus, there, is, there are symptoms that tie to the rating criteria under the law, there's a level of occupational and social impairment check, and it has a clear description and background of your history before the military, as you are on active duty, post uh, military, any service, any divorces, any substance abuse issues, all of those things play into the VA Raiders' final decision on your mental health claim. Okay, so it's absolutely crucial, in Brian Reese's opinion and, and in the opinion of our team, that you do these exams if you think at all that you might have a mental health condition. Okay, um, so the other part of this, though, for the CNP examiner, I said this in my post. Imagine if you apply for a job, right? Let's say, uh, let's use me as an example. Let's say I apply for a job at Facebook, right? And I apply to be a program manager at Facebook. And, I, you know, I start poking around the Google machine asking, you know, uh, you know, Facebook interview questions. What can I expect in a Facebook interview? Interviewing for Facebook program manager job questions. All the things that you might do to try to prepare yourself. Uh, for that interview, you're doing the exact same thing by doing what we do. Imagine if you have the answers to the test prior to getting administered the test. That's pretty doggone handy. 
Now, what I mean by that, and again, this, this is not about lying or stretching the truth or, or beating the VA at its own game. That's not it. It's about leveling the playing field. So instead of you walking into the compensation and pension exam going, well, I think I have a diagnosis in my medical records, but I'm really not sure. You know, I haven't gone to treatment for four years because I hate the VA and the psychs there suck and I can never get an appointment, right? Now you're walking into the CNP exam with new and relevant medical evidence that's been presented to the CNP examiner and the VA rater for the first time. And it's recent and it's relevant. Okay. So, what that does, guys, is it evens the playing field, it sets the bar at where your potential mental health rating and condition may end up, okay? Because your DBQ has a diagnosis, it's got a nexus, and it documents your symptoms. Okay, so back to my example of Facebook. Imagine if I knew out of the 200 interview questions Facebook asked, I got a chance to see all of them. I knew what they were gonna ask so I could prepare. Then I walk in on interview day with Facebook and I crush it, right? They only asked me five questions, but I knew all 200, right? It's the same thing, guys. It helps you calm your nerves. You're able to do a dry run, all right, with a U.S. board certified psych. Um, and you come out of there feeling like, okay, I understand. Now I understand the flow of the DBQ. I have a very good sense of the questions that were asked. Now I work with my VCE. I watch some of the other training videos in the Elite Experience Portal. And on CNP exam day, you're ready to knock it out of the park. Okay. Prepared. There's Super a, prepared for that day. You're, absolutely. You're, man, you, you want to be, you want to be over-prepared, right? Over-prepared. I say this sometimes in business, right? I, I hate when, when companies under-deliver, right? They under-deliver. Over-prepare, over-deliver. That's the way that you need to prepare for your CNP exam. Okay. Mm -hmm. And doing this independent psych about with one of our med professionals, it sets you up for success. Absolutely. And you have more time where you understand your symptoms and you can develop those examples for that exam, for that CNP exam, right? Be like, you're ready to yeah. go. You're ready. You understand not only am I depressed, but how am I depressed, right? And that's where when working with Dr. Sharp, you start understanding, you know, um, how you're living with your depression. You're able to articulate it a lot better because you've, yeah. you've already went through that with, with Dr. Sharp, who um, is receiving nothing but compliments, by the way, from uh, Facebook, Dr. Sharp. So she, she's Dr. Sharp is awesome, man. And yeah. Brett, I want to touch on I want to touch on one other thing because you brought up something. I want to share this with the community. Okay, so back before we started doing these, I actually had Dr. Nolan do a DBQ for me, all right, mm. for my own mental health condition. I was up for a, a reevaluation. I had been rated uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder coming out of the service in 2012, um, and I had a reevaluation. So Dr. Nolan did this forensic evaluation, this, this video teleconference interview with me uh, before he was working with our team. And I was blown away by the things he was able to pull out of me that I didn't even know about myself. All right. And, and I mean, I'm a guy that does this every day, all day. And yet he was able to pull things out of me that I didn't know or I didn't understand why I was doing them. Right. Now, we talked about alcoholism. We talked about relationship issues. We talked about, you know, sometimes being afraid to leave home. Right. Why, why do I prefer to be by myself? 
how come when I go to a restaurant, I always sit and I know exactly where the exits are, right? Why do I hate being in crowds of people? I absolutely hate it. Why do I sweat more than most people? And sometimes I feel like my heart is pounding out of my chest from anxiety, right? Why am I so freaking high strung? Why do I get road rage all the time and freak out on people, right? So all of these things, and by the way, I probably just mentioned many of the things many of you listening to me right now are dealing with. I got it. I deal with it too, right? And so you're going to get an unbelievable, compassionate human being who understands you and they are going to help pull this stuff out so you can truly understand your mental health conditions over preparing you for the CNP exam and of course the follow up to make sure you're getting resources. A key, right. word, yeah. a key word in there is forensic. And I think that's something to stress because when you have regular therapy with a doctor or a psychologist rather, um, they're go they're going to the motion. Sometimes they might not be equipped to work with PTSD or work with specific military uh, issues, traumas, and what have you. And to work with a specialist that is devoted to the military ailments and disabilities that our community deals with is key to be able to do that. Because someone might say, "How is it that Dr. Sharp in 60 minutes was able, for example, to pull all these things out of me that I was unable to get in six months of therapy?" at 30 minutes a pop, 45 minutes a pop, and it's because yeah. you're working with a specialist. But one thing I would offer to the same thing that Brian said, that I tell my veterans is use your DBQ. This is a VC tip here. You're using your DBQ as medical evidence to bounce off with another doctor. No difference than, for example, if I went to a urologist, had an issue, and then go to another urologist. When I'm going in there, I'm presenting him with a history of what I have already. Right. So being prepared and being able to use that medical document of here is a evaluation I had done by a psychologist who specializes in military matters and affairs. That's kind of the conversation you're having when you get to the CMP. For example, I didn't know that grossly inappropriate behavior, that the inability to perform task uh, functions of living were things that I was doing, like Brian just said. So when some people go into the CMP at times, they'll look up the rating criteria and feel like they can just throw key words out there. And sometimes that's not enough because you have to have a story behind what is that grossly inappropriate behavior? What are those, what is that spatial disorientation? So for example, like if my veteran goes in, I'm telling him, look, you, you didn't know these things until you spoke to Dr. Sharp. And you can tell this other doctor that it was because you had this evaluation that now you are aware that you have these things because it's yeah. genuine because if a doctor, if a psychologist asks me and says, you know, well, how do you think you have this? What do you, how do you know that? Because I had an evaluation and I, it was, I was made aware that these are the things I was dealing with unbeknownst to me. So now you're using Dr. Sharp or Dr. Swanholm ZBQ as like a backboard to have it. So that's his tactics. Now, when you go to the CMP of how to use that DBQ more effectively, um, but you know, that's the same point of being prepared, being smart. This is where that VCE prep is key because you have to make sure when you're going to that CMP that you utilize this. Cause at the end of the day, an M16 in the hand of a kid and a sniper are two different things. You have got to know how to use what yeah. we have and that's key. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I uh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to, um, you know, just go backwards really quick. Um, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I had a, a, a meeting with, with a, a VA employee. She works on the compensation or on the pension side of the house. Um, and we were talking, uh, Brian, we had got into talking about video, you know, video care, telemedicine, right? 
and they do a lot of their interviews with their housebound, you know, uh, clients, like the housebound veterans, you know, like the vets yeah. that aren't able to come to the VA, they are doing their interviews for their comp for their pension over, over video. So, you know, it, I just think, you know, it, it'll, the, the regulations, everything will catch up. Right. It's like Absolutely. things are happening. Yeah. It'll change. We're, it'll, we're, we're just guys. Yeah. We're, we're way ahead of the power curve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what you get with VA Claims Insider mm -hmm. is we're bringing, we're bringing entrepreneurial approach and innovation yep. to a broken bureaucracy. That's Always what the thinking VA outside is. the box. Yeah. The, the, the VA is a broken bureaucracy. What mm -hmm. we are, are a bunch of really hungry, awesome, badass, disabled <laughs> veterans who have given our lives continued in the service of you. And now what we do is we spend every day, all day. Every, thinking yeah. of new and better ways to do this so we can serve you better. Right. And so I agree, you know, I think the VA regulation will catch up. It'll probably be a few years before that gets updated, but it'll happen. Right. It will. So, so let's move on to uh, Dr. Sharp and start uh, kind of asking some questions and kind of get some feedback from you. So you have done, I would say a lot of evals <laughs> with us. Oh, a lot <laughs> yeah. is an under understatement. Uh, she she gave me the number, but uh, we'll she was she can put she can put a number out there to it, but a lot. Um, what are some of the things that you would advise someone who right now is on the fence, who maybe has not gone to therapy in years because they're just dismayed by the system? They want no parts of it, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to be told the same thing. I don't want pills. I understood. Um, and they're on the fence of kind of reaching out and getting a psych eval. What are some of the tips and things you've seen over the, all the evaluations you've done that you would advise someone who wants to start their journey to kind of do? Like, what are some, you know, your advice and tips to position themselves for success before even talking to you? Well, first of all, just acknowledge that it's a scary conversation. It really is. Um, it's not quite as scary as a root canal, but some people come onto that call and they're feeling that it's going to be that bad, right? But it's, it's hard and just expect that it's not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. It's actually a very easy conversation once we get started, mm -hmm. but kind of thinking about what's going on with you, like socially, what's different for you from before you were in the military to now? Were you a really outgoing guy before? And now the thought of being in a crowd makes your skin crawl. I mean, that's an important point. Um, what are your relationships like with your family? Do you still talk to your family? Does your family like walk by you in the house or do they stop and say hi? Mm. Those are all important things. Um, let's talk about your work history. Kind of think about that a little bit. Um, if you've had, I don't know, six jobs in the last 18 months, that's gonna kind of talk to your difficulty getting along with other people. And all of that is normal with PTSD. You're gonna have a problem concentrating on, on things. Um, sleep, think about your sleep before you come on. Is your sleep quality good? Is your sleep quantity good? Because if you're not getting good quality and quantity of sleep, it's gonna mess with your mood it's gonna mess with your energy level, obviously, but then it's also going to jack up your pain because you don't get a chance to relax at night because your brain is constantly going. Um, are you self-medicating? And be honest, if you are, a lot of people are. Um, I've said this to people that I've met with, 
alcohol is crazy effective. It works almost immediately, but the <laughs> side effects are undesirable, right? I mean, you go driving after you drink and now you've got a DUI and that may affect you at work. Um, so, I mean, I'm not pushing medication on anybody and there are therapy approaches for PTSD specifically that don't involve you sitting across from a therapist every week and having them go, so David, how are you feeling? How was your week? Okay, my week sucked. It sucks every week. What do you want? There are process-based therapies that make sense for military people. So there are options available if you want to start the progress of, or the process of getting better, of being able to interact with your environment without feeling like your environment is constantly happening to you. You don't have to live that way. And it's scary because you get used to feeling awful. It becomes normal. You just get used to that constant state of fight or flight. And it's miserable, but it's also scary to think about what's life like without that, because now that's become your crutch. But it's infecting every part of what you're doing. So having that conversation is important. Answering the questionnaires, honestly, is important. Because um, there's a lot of questions on those questionnaires that are reality check, right? I mean, they reach up and kind of thump you right in the forehead on some of them. Um, but just be honest when you're reading it. It, it doesn't help you to over embellish. It doesn't help you to yeah. under embellish, right? Um, I mean, God bless the Vietnam vets who have been dealing with this for 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, really that have such a hard time, a lot of them with those forms, because I mean, they were sent home and said, okay, you did great. Mm -hmm. Bye. And then nothing. And they've been struggling with that for 50 years. Um, so just know that it's it's not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. it, you'll end up feeling better when you're done. Mm -hmm. And we're not going <laughs> to, I mean, in general, we're not here to make you um, cry more. But sometimes crying feels pretty good. It's a good little tension reduction behavior, right? It gets some of that out. Um, but just taking the first step is the hardest thing to do. But it makes such a difference in the long run that I promise you won't regret doing it. It, it just, it will be such a relief for you to have taken that first step. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point about the Vietnam veterans because we have a lot of them in the group. Mm -hmm. And from the VCE side, one of the things I'm very big on is I always advise my veterans, you want to have this conversation with a professional. You know, my job is to guide you to get there. Um, but for a lot of people, it's like, this is just my reality. You know, like Dr. Sharp, there's, I don't have a problem. I don't have PTSD. I've just been like this since 1972. I've been like this since 65. And unbeknownst to them, part of, the, part of our chipping away is saying that these, these behaviors are not uh, normal, that you uh, think are part of you, like you just mentioned. Like, how were you before your service? And can you touch on the time lapse, because one of the things I tell my veterans a lot, especially the older ones, is that especially as they start to retire, m many of them have told me, you know, Dave, I, I retired a few years ago and it's like it's all coming back. I can remember vividly the things that happened in Vietnam that I thought were gone. I, I was over. And now that I'm kind of idle and retired and I'm not as busy or preoccupied, all these things are surging. Can you speak to the time lapse 
of, let's say, a veteran who just got out of service last week to one that got out of the service 50, 20, 30, 40 years ago and trauma? It really depends on how efficient your distraction methods are, right? Um, I mean, for Vietnam vets that are now retiring, they were, I mean, workaholics, most of them. Um, others turned to other distraction techniques, um, whether it was traveling the country or substance abuse. I mean, we see that a lot with that group as well. Um, so it depends on where they were channeling that energy into. And once the working is done, then they don't have anything to distract them from it. Now, everything that they've been very effectively pushing into that box mm -hmm. is now rattling out of the box. Um, and then we fast forward to today's combat vets that have been exposed to conditions that are just horrendous, that no one can understand that unless you've been there. No one can understand what they've seen unless they've been there. And it's heartbreaking because then they come home and they have to transition out of that combat environment to, hey, can you go to the store and pick up some milk? Um, yeah, except they walk into the store and now they're searching the whole store looking for a combatant because there's got to be one there because they can't just flip that switch off of fight or flight. Um, from a PTSD standpoint, those symptoms typically start around the time of the trauma, but then kick into full gear around three to six months after. Um, so it really, they may be able to ignore it for a little bit or just kind of power through for a while. Um, but there's no, there's no timeline yeah. for, it, for PTSD. Yeah, Dr. Sharp, um, and while we're talking about like, um, like say myself, for instance, I left the service with chronic adjustment disorder and then a couple years later down the road, I start my therapy uh, with the VA. And then my VA psychologist says, Brett, you have delayed onset PTSD. The mm -hmm. way he explained chronic adjustment disorder to me was that it's not supposed to last years and years and years. And we're seeing clients who come to us and they've had a chronic adjustment disorder rating for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Can you shed some light on what the difference is like? What, what exactly chronic adjustment disorder is versus, you know, like, is that supposed to eventually become a diagnose, another diagnosis, or is it supposed to be like treated and go away for the most part? I mean, it, I'm going to have to say it depends. The reason why chronic adjustment disorder is not PTSD in the first place is there are three criteria that you have to meet to be diagnosed with PTSD. Um, one has to do with recurrence, one has to do with avoidance, and one has to do with um, kind of emotion and hypervigilance. So what we see is a lot of people have a lot of avoidance. They don't want to be mm -hmm. around people. Just leave me alone. Uh, fireworks are done. Um, people don't understand. They're done. They're just, they don't connect with anybody. And um, then we see a lot of the emotional stuff. Um, and if, if you're not meeting all three criteria, then it's not going to be PTSD and kind of the next step from that is adjustment disorder. So it's not yeah. discounting the trauma that you experienced. You're just not meeting all three criteria for mm -hmm. PTSD. Dr. Uh, Sharp, one, one question on PTSD that someone asked that I think segues right into what you're just saying. 
uh, Dr. Sharp, can you have, this is a question from Ronnie, can you have PTSD even though I did not get blown up in my deployment, but I saw a lot of death and traumatic events? Because there's a concept that I didn't deploy, I wasn't fired upon. Can you touch on combat, non-combat, and kind of different ranges uh, for those that are listening and watching? A traumatic event can be due to combat, personal trauma, or other life-threatening situations, right? This is straight from the old VA form. Um, the VA is most interested in an event or circumstance that you experienced, witnessed, or were confronted with that involved actual or threatened death or serious injury to you or someone else. Mm. So you saw it, you experienced it. Like the, the Navy guys um, that were tasked with collecting bodies out of the water and putting them in body bags or moving body bags from a truck to a plane. They were exposed to death. Um, the training accidents that happened. I mean, you weren't in combat, but you saw somebody die in training or commit suicide while they were at um, boot camp or preparing for a deployment. Um, it's not combat, but you saw it and you experienced that and that has 100% changed your life. Mm. Um, you never look at things the same again after that because that's traumatic. You're not meant to see that in your normal life. Um, so no, it doesn't have to be in combat. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of trauma that can happen right here. <laughs> yep. Can you touch on personal trauma, MST, which is a big one that we're oh, seeing. Yeah. So we're working on it. We're working on, and we'll touch base off to this, but we're currently working on a segment um, to kind of start talking about that. Cause I think that's another area um, that it, it affects both men and women, and you've seen them. We, we've worked on this uh, with our veterans, but can you touch on that aspect of personal assault, military sexual trauma, uh, and things of that such that are not necessarily indirect combat related or you know what people usually would think for PTSD? No, sure. I mean, you've got safety and trust issues from MST that happen at boot camp as a result of um, command or leadership acting inappropriately. I mean, to put it mildly, right? Um, being assaulted while you're relatively safe in your own barracks or in the shower. I mean, you should be safe there. So that has completely rocked your whole perspective of where am I safe? If I'm not safe in my own bed, then where am I safe? Um, and it, it completely changes your perception of the world, but it also changes how your brain responds. There's a, a lot of research that talks about the hypothalamic loop and how that's permanently altered without therapy um, mm. when you're involved in military sexual trauma. So you are con your brain is constantly firing at a different rate after you've been traumatized like that. So there's a change that happens in the brain for the person. So that's an actual change is happening, yeah. mm -hmm. which interesting. That I mean, again, there's therapy. Um, non-drug related therapy. There's therapy that then can reprogram your brain to turn the volume down on that. Um, not that the trauma ever goes away, not that you're ever the same because you're not. You have a new normal, your old normal's gone and you need to adjust to your new one. Mm. Um, but it's, it's a horrifying event. Can you can you repeat that again, Dr. Sharp? Because I think that, that's a, that's a jet, that's like a stamp it moment of embracing the new normal because yeah. we as veterans live in the past my best days are behind me 
this is when I when we were young, when we were strong and we and we lived and we did, and now we're just shadows of who we were. What would you say to that point? Because I think that's a key point you just made right there. The new normal um, is is just such an important way to kind of frame how you're viewing your life and how you're interacting with other people. The experiences that you had while you were in the military, good, bad, ugly, and different, have changed you. You're not ever going to be the same as you were without those experiences. So being able to adjust to what your new normal life is going to be after the military is a, it's an amazing mindset to kind of look forward to, to say, you know what, it's not going to be like it was before and that's okay. It's going to be different. And different is different. It's not always better, but it's different, right? Um, you can make it better. You don't have to embrace a new normal and be miserable in it. You can embrace the new normal and look for the positive. Mm. Um, and I think that's an important concept as far as moving forward and not being just trapped in mm-hmm. that state of mind and in the situation that caused the trauma in the first place. And how does therapy, continued therapy after that factor into that change and that journey from a continuing support therapy, you know, point of view? So what, uh, what, there's two different types of therapy that I, I tell all my people about. Um, one is prolonged exposure therapy. Uh, the other is CBT. And I send everybody an email about that if they want it. Um, prolonged exposure therapy was developed by an Israeli psychologist after serving in the Israeli army and saw a need for a therapy approach that appealed to military members, okay? What it does is slowly expose you to the traumatic memories so that you're able to talk about it without having an emotional response. And then that emotional response doesn't cause a behavior where you lash out at your wife or your husband or your kids, right? So you're able to exist with that memory and not be held captive to what that memory felt like for you when it actually happened. Mm. So you're adjusting to, you're adjusting your response to the memory. The memory's there. You can't do anything about the memory. It happened, but you can adjust how you respond to it. That's the same thing with cognitive behavioral therapy. This is just cognitive behavioral therapy on steroids. Um, But what it does is give you a chance to say, yes, this happened and it sucked, but I choose to respond to it this way. And I choose to move forward with my life this way, Um, which is why prolonged exposure therapy and CBT are so effective is it doesn't matter how long ago the trauma was, Mm -hmm. you can always do these therapies. Um, It's important to do it individual with someone who is trained in prolonged exposure therapy. This is not something that everybody can do. And by all means, you should not be doing this in group. (laughs) Um, Group comes later. Uh, You, as someone with very severe PTSD does not need to be in a group at all. That is, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Start with individual therapy, go through the step-by-step process. And when you're comfortable being around people, let's try a group then instead of, hey, so I know your anxiety and your depression and your suspiciousness of others are off the charts. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to set you in a room with like 15 Mm -hmm. other people 
people that feel the exact let's, same. Let's way. trigger you. <laughs> Nobody's listening. Yeah. Right. All they're doing is scanning the room. Um, yeah. So I, I tell my people, advocate for yourself. Make sure that you have a therapist that you like, not that you're tolerating, mm. that you like, because it can be the best therapy in the world. But if you're looking at your therapist thinking all you want to do is V8, pop them in the forehead, that yep. is not the therapist for you. For you, yeah. It could be therapeutic to go into the forest and gather pine cones with your therapist if you like them. Mm -hmm. That could be therapeutic for you, but you have got to find the therapist that you like. And it was it's within your right as a patient. Mm. What, are your, what are your thoughts on medication uh, in conjunction with therapy as a whole? Like not some shy away from it because we come from a system where unfortunately the VA likes to pump meds out, you know, like candy at times. And, you know, but there are instances where a combination of therapy guided with the right person, a psychologist and a, psych a psychiatrist with medication put together a, a winning, you know, plan for a, a, a patient. Can you talk on the medication side of a treatment? Yeah. So gone are the days of blitzing people into submission, right? We're, we're no longer medicating people into being kind of a drooling mess in the, in the corner of the room. The idea with psychotropics is that you're using them in conjunction with therapy. So they're meant to bring your anxiety and your depression down to a level that you can communicate with someone back and forth, learn these skills, adjust your responses so that your brain isn't firing the same way. And then when you've changed your responses, you don't need the med. They're meant to be used in conjunction so that you don't have to be on the med forever. Um, there's a lot of people I talk to who been on antidepressants or anti-anxieties for years and they're like it doesn't work because they're only doing the medicine you're you're meant to pair them together so that you're able to be in a state of mind to learn the techniques that you're supposed to learn from therapy adjust your responses so that you can come off the med now that's for anxiety and depression it's obviously different for bipolar and schizophrenia because those are different areas of the brain and we have had veterans like they have had those diagnosis mm -hmm. uh, here. Yeah. Yeah. They, those those uh, those diagnoses are, are completely different parts of the brain and will need to be on well managed. And if their medication is well managed, then their symptoms are typically well managed. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Is I am a product of that. Uh, went through a 12 week course and uh, absolutely loved it. Um, it helped me out tremendously in more ways than one. I also took a nightmare disorder uh, uh, course. Mm -hmm. um, now, I, I have a lot of veterans who are uh, very skeptical and kind of reopening up that door, right? Don't want to talk about it, been suppressing it. Uh, DP highlighted it a little earlier. So if you got a veteran, and I was the same way, um, but if you, if you have a veteran in that situation, I know that you were asking them some questions, but what are some Dr. Sharpisms that you use uh, to kind of break the ice, I should say, that, that helps them kind of, because you talk to people all day long and everybody comes with their own characteristics, their own background, their own skepticism. And uh, so what do you use that actually help uh, break the ice in those type of situations? Well, first of all, we just start off with really easy questions. I mean, we don't just jump right into, hey, how are you doing? What's your trauma? Uh, <laughs> so we start off with, where did you grow up? How many siblings did you have? Were your parents married? And just slowly kind of work our way through their history 
so that by the time we get down to that area, we've built a rapport through those other conversations about their family history, social history, work history, um, any behavioral history. We, we've worked our way through that so that when we get down to, okay, so tell me what happened. There's a, enough of a connection that we can get some, we can get a good conversation going. Um, but we, we definitely don't start with, so where were you deployed? Oh, 2003 in Iraq. I heard that was lovely. Um, so tell me what happened. I mean, that you need a chance to kind of ease into the pool. So we start in the shallow end and kind of work our way down. Yeah, no, I think that that's important just for, you know, just for some of my veterans that I'm working with, mm -hmm. uh, they are, they are skeptical, hesitant more than anything, not necessarily skeptical, but they're just hesitant and just don't know how yeah. it's going to be. And that's, uh, that's why it's enough. That's why I said, yeah, because yeah. especially with the fear of what they've heard, what they think, uh, some people have never talked to a psychologist. So mm -hmm. they're just kind of going off of Hollywood and they're thinking a big couch and they're thinking, or oh, what they're hearing from the VA and you're going to, you know, berate them and, and, and beat them. And it's like, this is a safe space. And that's one of the things that we keep saying. It's like, it's not that we're going to just open up your wounds and just pour salt on it and get a, a document out of this, but rather this is a, a calculated and strategic process under the guise of a professional. And that's one of the biggest things that we focus on. Uh, one, so can you touch on somatic symptom disorder? Um, many of our veterans have it. Many don't know. We've spoken about it, but can you touch on that as far as when you are talking to a veteran that maybe doesn't have a argument for PTSD, but they're dealing with somatic symptom or because of the stigma, they refuse to even acknowledge PTSD regardless of what, but they do have an argument for somatic symptom disorder. So there's not a body system that operates independent of another, right? Um, everything interacts in your body. So when you have a chronic injury that results in chronic pain, um, that starts messing with a lot of different systems. It may first start messing with your ability to sleep. So now you're not able to sleep through the night because you wake up in the middle of the night for pain. Now, not only do you have the pain, you're tired. So you have the pain, you're tired. What do you do when you're in pain and you're tired? You snap at people. Mm -hmm. Now you've got pain, tired, mood, now we've got work issues. Oh, dear God. So now everything is kind of swirling around it. So we have the added stress of the pain and not sleeping. That's going to develop some cardiac issues, which is why a lot of people have hypertension. Mm -hmm. It's also going to start messing with your metabolism, which is why we start seeing a lot of diabetes or hyperlipidemia. Um, those are all very common. Uh, sleep apnea starts pretty soon after a traumatic event as well. So those are all things that start kind of twisting on top of each other. And the longer that they go, the more they compound on top. So mm -hmm. the longer that you go with pain that's not treated, the worse you're going to sleep. The worse you sleep, the worse your mood gets. The worse your mood gets, the more jobs you have. So it just starts building. Well, then it becomes the issue of what's the chicken and what's the egg? What's your biggest issue now? It may have started off as pain. But you're so focused on the pain that you can't think about anything else. So that's messing with your cognitive processes too. You can't remember things. You're looking at somebody's face and you're like, I, you are a great guy. I don't know what your name is. Because that's, that's not registering for you. You hurt and you're tired and you're tired of hurting. Mm. 
So that there's a huge, huge correlation between chronic pain or all of the other symptoms that kind of pack onto that with the cardiac issues, the me uh, metabolism issues, the sleep issues um, that may have started off as one thing mm -hmm. and then just start affecting other systems in your body. So somatic symptom disorder is something that's lasted for longer than six months where you have been so primarily worried about your pain that it's affecting your ability to concentrate on anything else. And that's very common because when your brain doesn't get a break, it's constantly trying to figure out what's going on. So you may have some pretty wild dreams when you're having chronic pain because your brain can't make sense of why you can't get any sleep. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it doesn't have to be related to PTSD at all. You can be very sad and very depressed because you're hurt all the time. Mm. Physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting because you don't get a break. Mm. There's always something. And even if you do get a break from the pain, you have a nice pharmacy that you get to take every morning and every evening in your pill box mm. that then reminds you of how much things have changed for you medically. Mm. So it's a constant reminder, even if they manage to get the pain under control that, oh my gosh, now I have to take a statin or I have to take something for gastrointestinal. Um, I have to take something for GERD or IBS because your digestive system is now messed up because you're so anxious. Mm. So everything just starts to kind of compound and build on top of each other which is why somatic symptom disorder is so, so scary because it's not just one thing anymore. Mm -hmm. It may have started off as that, but now that pain is causing you emotional distress. That, those medical issues are causing you emotional distress because you're not getting a break from it. Does that make sense? Well, it, it makes perfect sense. I, I'd say I had a, a Vietnam veteran. Um, he grew up on a farm. And before he had a psyche valve, one of the things he, he confided in me before and after was, you know, he grew up on a farm and his idea of retirement was riding horses and living out his life. And fast forward now, here he is 71 years old, unable to barely walk, forget about riding horses. Mm -hmm. So his complete idea of where life would be now is completely disconnected because of his service-connected disabilities. So on top of the pain, that realization that the things that I saw myself, who I see in a mirror, is not the person that I thought would be there now. Um, and that factors into that. Um, Don, uh, I want to say Donnie uh, in a group, Don Burns said, the real sad part is finding out why you are the way you are after 51 years. That's powerful. Mm. That is yeah. powerful. Mm. I was talking to a Vietnam vet today and his wife joined us on, on the call. And she, she's like, why does he do that? Why can he sit in a room and not hear me? Mm. Like I'm talking to him. Why can he not hear me? I'm like, he is in a constant state of fight or flight. He is constantly looking for the tiger that's either going to eat him or he has to run from. So he either has to fight the tiger or run from the tiger. So he's paying attention to everything and nothing all mm. at the same time. So if you want his attention, you can't call for his attention from the kitchen. You have to position yourself in front of him, say his name, get his attention, and then talk. Because right now, you're not a threat. He's not focusing on you because he knows you're not going to hurt him. He's looking for what is. Mm. 
and that's how their marriage has been for 47 years. Dr. Sharp, I'm sorry, I, I, I have to say, I have to ask you to say that again. He is paying attention to everything, everything and nothing. That's, that's, that's powerful. So he can't focus on one thing because he's looking at everything in the room. So when the grandkids come over, they mm -hmm. run around and they make a crap ton of noise. He can't handle it. He's got to go to his room. Why mm. is grandpa so upset? He's not upset. He just, he can't pinpoint what he's supposed to be doing. Um, tries to go to a football game with his son. Oh my gosh. How much noise is there at a football game? <laughs> And then you add in drunk people and that's a whole nother level. And then what if they decide to shoot off a cannon when they score a touchdown? I mean, game over, you're done. Time to go. Um, Cause you can't just say to someone with PTSD, you're fine. Why, why are you so upset? I mean, why are you not listening to me? Why can't we go do that? Because they're hyper aware of everything. And unless they're in a room where they can just focus on one thing, which is why they like to be by themselves. Um, it's really, really hard to interact with other people. And it's not that they're being rude. Mm. They're not being rude. They're trying so hard to be in the same room, but you have to get their attention to have their attention. Would you say technology, in your opinion, has helped to mask some of those things? And the reason I'm saying that, in my personal perspective, I talk to Ronis, I talk to Chris, and we're always in contact, but we're always kind of in the same place in some shape, fashion, or form. Through technology, we can text and we can do things, but when it's all said and done, we're still in our cocoons, we're still in our safe space. But technology, we're able to leverage it to where it's like, we're social, hey guys, all's fine, I'm right here. I'm in my house and you know protected, not really interacting with someone right now. Can, can you touch on that? How many, how many vets are truck drivers? Mm. How many vets um, are work as an electrician or an installer or work in a cubicle where they don't have to look at other people? Um, so while technology is great for certain generations uh, because it still allows you to be at home and talk to people. And if you don't want to talk to them, then you just close the screen. Um, for other generations, who aren't comfortable with technology, right? How many people do we have there? Mm -hmm. uh, they still feel isolated and alone. Um, so, I mean, I think technology is a good thing for um, certain generations. I think once you get like younger than, um, I'm gonna say 1965, <laughs> like if you were born 1965 and early or like younger than that, technology is great. 65 and older it's it's kind of it's kind of a hit or miss because they just they don't get it right it's really hard to feel like you're going to get a connection with anyone through technology because that wasn't part of their life growing up it needs to be face to face everybody needs to sit at the table together and have dinner not let's have a video chat and everybody can eat their lunch at the same time and we had lunch we had a lunch meeting um so I, I think it's enabling some veterans to remain isolated while still having the semblance of interacting with other people. Um, so it's kind of changing the conversation a little bit, right? I mean, you've got two-year-olds that can navigate an iPad better than their parents can True. because that's where, the, that's where the technology understanding is headed. Mm. I don't think I answered your question at no, all. No, you, no, you did actually. A lot of words. Um, 
<laughs> but, but but in the group, it resounds because we, we have people answering um, and many are saying, you know, I wish everyone could understand or this definitely makes sense of what I've been doing. So it, it's actually giving now language and words to feelings and experiences. And I think that's a powerful thing about therapy. Therapy has given me the language to express and say the things that I couldn't say before that were just mood swings or the way I said I was or what was unspoken that that guy did. Whereas now it's like there's words to show this is why I do this or do that. Back to that same point you said about, you know, watching everything and, you know, seeing nothing, you know, like things like that. It empowers a veteran to understand like, okay, now I understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dr. Sharp, real quick. Um, what about for the veterans who, uh, let's say, are very successful, right? Mm -hmm. You got veterans that are out there that are, you know, successful, high ranking employees, right? And they are, they're still doing their thing. Um, what can you say for those folks who, who go into a compensation pension exam, not necessarily with a uh, suit and tie on, but they look presentable, right? So some people get this impression that they have to go in with greasy hair and soiled clothes in order to kind of uh, paint this facade that there's something wrong with them. Right. I had the pleasure of talking to a veteran this week who was extremely well-spoken, well put together and was articulating his experiences in a way that you would have coffee with someone, like meet at Starbucks and have coffee. So the important thing from a DBQ evaluation point of view is to not listen to how they're saying it, but what they're saying. Mm. Because there's a lot of context in what someone is saying rather than how they're saying it. And I think the danger is for these executives or let's say um, pilots or people who have gotten um, masters or doctorate degrees, I mean, been very well educated, that they almost wanna talk themselves out of the emotions that they're having. Mm -hmm. um, and they can talk their way around it. It's mm -hmm. the job then of the examiner to say, okay, but you just said that this happened to you. How did that change this part of your life? Um, and not look at not look at what they look like, but hear what they're saying. Mm. And it's so important because once you're able to acknowledge that you're hearing what they're saying, the conversation starts to change a little bit. Sure. Then they their their tone of voice starts to change a little bit, and then we start getting into some of the heart of the the conversation. But I don't know that you have to go in looking like a complete disaster. Um, I think you just need to be talking to someone who um, is going to hear what you're saying, not how you're saying it. Right. Like, here's an example. Um, I was diagnosed with stage 3B breast cancer in 2006. Okay. Um, I went through eight rounds of chemo, five weeks of radiation, a whole nother year of another med three failed reconstruction surgeries before I actually got the surgery that I needed. Okay. Um, now I can say all of that because I, I mean, I'm 12 years away from it, but I can say it with enough detail. Like I can go into what my staging was, what my, all my lab results were, because I know that's information that someone would want to know. Should I have a reoccurrence? but it's rehearsed, right? 
Right. So some of these um, high functioning, very successful executive type people have rehearsed it enough that they feel disconnected from it and they want to be disconnected from it. So they need to be talking to someone who can then say, that sounds like that really, really sucked. And then you kind of see them take a breath and let that breath out. And now we can have an actual conversation. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a tricky little thing of trying to get someone to feel comfortable enough to talk and not just say, well, my gosh, you are so well put together and you present so well, you're fine, you're good, bye. You have done that person a disservice because walking into that exam is scary and we've talked about that. It's so scary to sit in front of somebody and be vulnerable. So not giving them the due attention that that takes is disrespectful. And the examiners need to be able to be in a room with somebody and hear what they're saying, not how they're saying it. And I think that's a great point, Chris, because the fact of the matter is highly successful people are dealing with issues, just like people that are not successful. And if anything, there are instances where, for example, when you look at academia, you have some people that are very educated because they can kind of hide in the structure of being in a school environment, right? I understand what's expected of me. Uh, I excelled in school because it's a structure. It's something that there's no variables in there. If I do A, B, C, I will get D. If I do this, I will get that. Um, and kind of hiding behind those things. When you look at, you know, a CEO who might be a manic depressive, who might be um, a drunk, who might be a drug user, uh, but yet they're so involved in their work and lost in it that by the outside appearance is the person is successful and you're thinking their life is great, but you don't see what they're hiding and what they're killing themselves doing the work that they're doing. Uh, so, you know, there's different things at play. So, you know, because you have a job does not mean you don't have issues, you know what I mean? Because I think sometimes people see that like, well, I have a job and, you know, I, one of the points you talked about last week, Dr. Sharp was, you know, for some they're hanging on to a job. There's a difference. They're hanging on to a job and promotions, advancements are all gone. Those things don't exist. They're literally one bad break, one bad day from not having a job. And the fact that you're holding on to a job doesn't mean that you're thriving and living a regular life um, when you're dealing with issues that are, you know, buried. Well, and there's a resilience issue too, right? So some people are able to kind of hold that box together with their hands. And then mm. the box starts to crack and then it starts to leak. So then they try to like twist it and cover more of the box. But at some point they're holding the box together with paper clips and string because they just don't have the strength to do it anymore. And then maybe they retire or their spouse dies and everything changes because that paper clip and string support is gone. Um, and it, it shows up different ways for different people. Um, but that doesn't mean that they haven't been hurting the whole time. They have, they've just been trying so hard not to show it. And that takes a toll on them too, right? It takes a toll on their cardiovascular system. It takes a toll on mm -hmm. their digestive system. I mean, the toll is there. You can't keep your body from feeling the effects of that. Yeah. which is good evidence that you've been suffering for a long time. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that one thing that literally breaks the camel's back is where you start seeing individuals that, you know, they just want to lie to themselves. They want to just keep saying that they're fine and, and talk their way out of things. Uh, yeah. Like we tell our veterans, it's like, look, 
what got you through combat, I always keep saying it, you know, you were camouflaged, right? We're, we're used to blending in and we're good at, you know, having up those, those generic answers every Monday morning. It's like, how, how was the weekend? Not long enough. Same old, same old. You know how it is. That flattened effect of those same canned answers. If you record it every Monday morning where most veterans with PTSD or issues answer, they're always kind of saying the same exact things. There's never details. There's never names. There's never anything that's being shared that's genuine um, because we just learn how to mask things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Professional suppressors is what I call, and I'm guilty of that. I, I, I can attest. All righty. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm here. Hey. I've, I've been here for a little bit now. Uh, uh, sorry about the, the delay. But I do have a question for you, Dr. Sharp. Um, when you get to talking about verbiage, verbiage on DBQs and verbiages, verbiage on nexus statements, like once you get to probably about the 100% range, some of that stuff seems vague. What would you say grossly inappropriate behavior was? Grossly inappropriate behavior is walking up to somebody in the street and just wailing on them. Um, they, they annoy you because they're wearing the color purple. So you just want to beat them up. Um, chasing someone down on the highway with a baseball bat in your car because you want to explain to them how they can be a better driver with the use of your baseball bat. Um, walking outside buck naked to check your mail. Um, taking your kids to school in the morning while you are completely hammered. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of things like that. Uh, going up to your boss at work after you get a bad performance report and um, threatening to kill him. That's a grossly inappropriate behavior, right? Um, so it's, it's a bigger response, like a more gigantic response than your sane mind would ever consider. Um, and that's also a, a point of kind of the level of impairment is what your brain is willing to consider. One, one thing I have to raise, so in the comment section, Wayne just shared something that I think, you know, is eye-opening. He said, he says, wow, I'm sitting here listening to this, literally crying. I did not realize just how much I've been bothered by all my issues. Back to the point of having the language to understand what's happening, uh, it's eye-opening. And it's, like you just said earlier, even crying and having that release. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that release factor is huge. I know that that, that helps me get through, no doubt. Okay. And so, the- <laughs> right. No, it's all right. I'm sorry. I'm stepping. I'm trying to catch up, man, and make sure I don't ask questions that have been asked. So, when you spoke of earlier, Dr. Sharp, like a situation happening that kind of knocks over your house of cards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you keep the another examiner, I'll say, from saying that that is what's wrong with you? And to like an example, I'll give you my example. Um, I had uh, some incidents in Iraq. Um, I had a buddy kill himself in Iraq. And I kind of just didn't worry about it. You know, I kept everything to myself I kind of just lived life and then when we got back I had four of my friends kill themselves like rapidly like Mm -hmm. back to back and so you know I was sitting with my wife and to me and again I don't know what was going on with those guys but to me they seemed like they had it together and I turned to her and I said and um if they killed themselves I don't know what's stopping me from doing it you know and that's how I felt and Mm -hmm. so 
she was like, yo, you should probably get some help now. So, you know, I went and I started doing counseling and stuff. And then I went to the VA. And when I did my first, this was my, I had never filed, this was my first CMP exam. And, you know, the examiner asked me, you know, what's going on? Why are you here? And I told him, I said, hey, you know, I dealt with some stuff overseas. I've had this happen recently and I want to get help. And, you know, I was denied, of course. And, but the reason I was denied, they said that the only reason I needed help was because my friends currently had killed themselves, not because of anything that happened, but that I was depressed because of that situation. So when you have a situation that kind of, like you said, just makes everything fall apart, how do you convey that it was what made everything fall apart and not the start of your new issues or the start of issues? You get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So like, what was the triggering event, you mean? Yeah, like I said, they just blamed all my depression, anxiety, PTSD. They blamed it on my friends instead of on the events that I had that we had all collectively been through before. Oh, yeah. Um, so the problem was for you, you had this traumatic event happen and then you, that was followed rapidly by other traumatic events in country. Um, and then you come home and the trauma isn't stopping. So the trauma started overseas that, and you didn't get a chance to grieve the friend that died overseas because you had to go right back out to doing what you were expected to be doing while you were there. Then you come back, expect everything to be safe, everything to be okay, and it's not. So those things just keep building on top of each other to the point that you're kind of looking around going, oh my gosh, who's next? <laughs> like, I, I thought we were okay. And then it's shocking to find out that the people you thought were okay aren't. Um, so it's important to explain the point that it's, it's not the fact that four of your friends took their lives when they got back. It's everything together, building on top of each other, changing how you interpret the world and how you're interacting with it. And it started in combat. Um, he didn't kill himself in combat, but that situation was probably a trigger for him and he couldn't handle it. Adjusting back to home is just as traumatic because now you have to figure out how to switch that combat switch off. And like I was saying earlier, go to the store and get some milk. It's incredible. Or, or, deal, or deal with a crying baby, newborn yeah. that just was born during Same deployment. Deal. And now you're having to deal with trying to acclimate back into regular life and you're just winging it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, on, a, on a lighter note, on a lighter note, is Ron is trying to get some free therapy right now? Uh, I hope so. Every chance I get. <laughs> I actually, man, actually, you know what's funny? Um, going back to the therapy piece, I use the vet centers because of DP, because of David. I That's awesome. I'm in Detroit, and Detroit's VA is terrible. Um, I, whatever. I don't. I have never had a great experience there. It's yeah. in the middle of the hood. Like, it is surrounded by danger. Um, I do not like, <laughs> hey, I don't like it. And so I kind of like, like Dr. Shaw said, I didn't find a therapist there that would help me. And it was expensive paying for it out of pocket. And so DP actually told me about vet centers and I went and found a great therapist, like off gate first time. I didn't feel like I was being judged. I felt like it was a safe space and I go every week on the news that, that's that's a good point to dr sharp's point from earlier of finding someone that you feel comfortable with mm -hmm. 
you, you I, guys I, are you guys are the reason why I started therapy, right? I mean, you guys are, you know, bear witness when I started my journey. I was asking you guys for advice, and you were like, "Brett, you got to go talk to somebody." You know, like I mean, and now we're letting people truly behind the curtain right now. But yeah, yeah I mean, you have to have. You got to have a little, our, a, a little support. Keepers. Yeah. You got to have a little support system. Thank God for you guys, man. I mean, yeah. people need to understand, like we, we, we do talk like every day, like we literally talk every day and you guys have been a huge impact on my mental health. And, and, um, and then I can attest to Dr. Sharp. She's amazing at what she does. My clients uh, do nothing but brag about her. And, and my, I think what, what happens is when they, talk with Dr. Sharp, they start realizing they're like, this is a complete stranger who has made me understand what's going on in my head. And I should go talk to somebody else on a continuous basis now after this session. And I think that's the thing that um, I want to get back to you, Dr. Sharp, is my clients are always relaying and echoing. Please tell Dr. Sharp, thank you. Uh, my, my client, Rex Fogelman, and I have him uh -huh. and his wife and she yeah. You know, she was very apprehensive about going forward until and then and then I assured her. Remember, I referred I was like, you have to talk to Dr. Sharp. And she got on your calendar. And um, I mean, she she's you know, she's she's in a better place now because of her okay. session with you. So so Rex wanted me to pass along that. Thank you from hit the bottom of hit their heart for oh. what you've done for them. So um, and uh. She got she got hers without a CMP exam. She got her increase without CMP and Rex, we're still waiting. <laughs> so I'm so, just giving Rex a hard time, but so thank you, Dr. Sharp. So but one good point to to stress on that, talk about vet centers uh, and different, you know, therapy. And somebody asked what that was. Uh, will you explain what a vet center is before you get into mm -hmm. your point? DB? Oh, so vet centers are essentially they're like the cousin of the VA. Mm -hmm. So they act in place of having therapy. Uh, they're free of charge to veterans, combat veterans. So the, you don't have to necessarily be at the VA itself. These are therapists that want to specifically work with veterans and are, are specialists in the PTSD, SSD, you know, entire mental health arena. Uh, so it's a safe place to go. Some are very good. The issue is they're kind of almost like not volunteer, but they're somewhat grassroots and small. So they need people to come to the center to justify the funding to mm -hmm. maintain the center. So, for example, the one by me, they opened a new one and they would only be able to see me once a month until the therapist was able to get more hours and time to be there. And I will only come if more veterans would come. So my, you know, standard thing is to tell everybody I know locally to go to the vet center because then the demand justifies the staffing support. Um, but it's definitely a safe space that's outside. It's not so much. Um, and, and that's one thing, Dr. Sharp, I, I like to get your, your, your views on, but they're not uh, desk side service therapists. They're more bedside service. Uh, and we've talked about this before where a lot of medical professionals have moved to a desktop service you know, environment where it's just kind of note taking for the system and everything goes in e-benefits. Whereas at the vet center, you're just having a conversation. The therapist is not there on a computer just taking notes to go and feed into something. They do give reports back to the VA periodically, but it's more about in the moment, in the now. Uh, so that's essentially what a vet center uh, is.
and they have lots of programs. So you can do like one-on-one counseling therapy. You can drop into group sessions. They do spouses by themselves as well as couples. So they, they have a lot of options. So if you need something, you can pretty much get it done at a vet center. Oh, can I talk about that? I think it is so important for spouses of veterans to be educated themselves on what it is their veteran is thinking, feeling, experiencing related to the trauma so that they can let go of a lot of the anger and frustration and misunderstandings that they have about how the veteran may be responding to things and not be able to say, okay, it's not me, it's the trauma Um, instead of well, I don't know why he won't listen to me. I don't know why he's so angry. I don't know why, 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 why. There are spouse trainings, um, support groups available. And I strongly encourage um, spouses to take part in that because it takes so much pressure off of the relationship if everybody's on the same page on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good points. And I didn't even know that uh, the vet center offered that. So thanks yep. for sharing. Yep. Yeah, it's dope. Like I said, for everything except the group sessions, you have to schedule. Group sessions, though, they drop do in. like once a week, you can just drop, drop in. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one question that came in, Dr. Sharp. Uh, in my CMP, this is Rex, my examiner asked how I knew I had a somatic symptom disorder rather than bipolar that was previously diagnosed by the VA. All I could say was that I wasn't a psychologist and I spoke about what I felt and experienced. Um, can you talk about instances where veterans may have been diagnosed for one thing or the comorbidity of different diagnoses? We have veterans that have different things that they might be dealing with. And mm-hmm. when they present a new condition to uh, the VA for compensation purposes or therapy, et cetera, how to be able to phrase that better and introduce a new diagnosis? So, I mean, I, I think we've kind of covered this before. There are very few things in your body. There are no things in your body that exist independent. So when there's a mood disorder, it's affecting something else. Um, So nothing exists independent. So when you have bipolar, you're cycling between manic and depressive, and that has huge effects on your body system. Uh, I I saw a couple people who were previously diagnosed with persistent depressive disorder, which is like a DSM-3 or 4 diagnosis. But depression and anxiety go hand in hand. It may seem like they shouldn't. One should be a polar opposite of the other, um, but they have very distinct symptoms. So when I, when they're being evaluated, that persistent depressive disorder obviously needs to be updated to the current language, but they also have generalized anxiety disorder and the somatic symptoms because everything is affecting everything else. Mm. So I would encourage just discussing how nothing exists in a vacuum. Yes. I mean, if I have these somatic symptoms, if I have the bipolar symptoms, if I have depression symptoms, everything's affecting everything else. Um, It's gonna be impossible to treat one without treating the other. Can you talk Dr. Sharp about dual status families? Because that's we have veterans here where you have two married veterans, and this is personal because it's my situation too, uh, where you have two veterans who are 
both uh, married and both have PTSD and both have this type of things in that environment, you know, what are some of the things you've seen? Because some folks might be out there in relationships, you know, married to another veteran who has their own issues. So sometimes that creates a whole new level of stressors and issues because of the fact that in the previous instance, you might have a spouse who's not educated, let's say, and it's helpful to go to therapy to understand and, you know, verse themselves in what their spouse is dealing with. And then you have the other side of the conversation. We have two veterans married to each other with their own mental health conditions. Well, first, I want to say nobody's experience is going to be the same. So even if you have two veterans in the same home, they're going to, and they were in the exact same um, event, they're going to experience that event in completely different ways. Okay. So everybody's experience is going to be different, even if you were at the same place at the same time experiencing the exact same thing. Mm. It's going to be super important for both to be in therapy separately at the same time. Does that make sense? Um, It's not going to do any good for the relationship for one person to go to counseling and then come home and have the other person still be cycling. Mm -hmm. And like one spouse is trying to get better and the other one is just still struggling. So go through therapy at the same time. And then once you've gone through either the prolonged exposure or the CBT, then think about couples therapy because there's a lot of damage that's done just in conversation mm-hmm. and body language and throwing something across the room or sleeping on the couch instead of going into the bedroom that that's going to need to be rebuilt because it's not the relationship it's the trauma so understanding that your spouse is going through something that's not the same as yours. They're not going to respond to it the same way, but if you're both getting therapy, then you can get to a point where you can say, okay, I just said this, this is what, um, this is what I meant. Um, what I had done in couples counseling, we have a, um, we have a word, like a random word that somebody just throws out. So like, I'll say, yeah, the sky is blue. And my partner in that room would say watermelon and i'm like what what <laughs> you just said that the sky is is blue like you don't like blue oh, i'm just saying the sky is blue that's not what i meant so having a chance to explain what it is you were trying to say and what the person heard then you get back to the conversation instead of letting it continue to be misinterpreted Sometimes it's watermelon, um, Rana. Sometimes it's margarita. Uh, sometimes we use pineapple. Um, all elements. But you have to have some kind of a, a safe word in the house um, that even if you're not actively in therapy, that you heard one thing and it set you off. So you say pineapple and your spouse has to stop at that point and go, what did you just hear me say? I heard you say that I'm fat in these jeans. Okay, well, if you actually said that, then, I mean, my gosh, we have a different issue, but that may not be what you said. You may have said, I think you would look pretty in a, in wearing some, or like a dress or something. I'm starting that today. Yeah. (laughs) So I I can tell you that's exactly kind of how our process began. So in my case, it was that I had got to the point where I knew I needed to get therapy and help. And then it was the thing where eventually my spouse went ahead and got 
in therapy herself and began her own process, different therapists. And it was kind of one of those things of like, now we're both starting to understand, you know, what we're dealing with. And we have more language to understand kind of each other, even though we had different experiences with different events. Um, and that began then the process of moving into the couples piece. So that entire journey, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, how is all this growing and morphing? But that's exactly where we got to the point of, of having that, what did you hear versus what I said, or what did I think I'm hearing versus right. what you're actually saying. Um, so yeah, that, that hits home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Starting it right now. Sassafras is my word. Sassafras. Sassafras. That's Sassafras. the word. Ron is, is self-treating. That doesn't work. You need a professional. Um, no, no, that's it. Because, and it goes back to the point that, like I said, me and David talk a lot too. And I am very perceptive and uh you know i've always been that way like i can tell someone's mood has changed right before it changes you know what i mean like if mm -hmm. you always text me 13 words in a sentence and this time it's 10 it's like all right something's wrong something's it's, it's, what's, it's coming what's off like what's different i can tell and i'm always right like i can i'm very good at energy and so me and my wife get into it because I can tell the moment her energy has shifted and she may not be ready to talk about that shift yet. And so what <laughs> somebody sassafras, that's my word, Pedro. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he's in the chat. So when you get into situations like that, is it because I'm not an arguer, I'm not a yeller, I'm not a, I just get quiet and I go be by myself. Like I don't wanna deal with the world anymore. And I know there's a lot of vets that I talk to that they kind of just shut themselves off from everything whenever, because I don't know if it's a fear of what they may do or a fear of what I may do, whatever. But once it gets to the point where it's that angry, I just leave, I remove myself from the situation. Mm -hmm. And like I say, I know I've talked to lots of vets that do the same thing uh, i don't know if that's healthy or not um you know i mean i'm not trying to get free counseling like brett said but i'm asking i'm asking for all the veterans in the in the chat room what would you say to that there has to be an agreement there has to be an agreement between you and your spouse you and your partner you and your significant other that that's not allowed you don't get to leave we're not going to walk out on it because when you keep walking out on it, it never gets processed, okay? I was dealing with one couple who liked to fight through email. Oh, uh, you can true. read a lot of inflection through email and text. And if you're in a good mood, then it's all happy. And if you're in a bad mood or you're expecting to be attacked, then it's like daggers, right? So I said, you guys have to decide how you want to communicate. If you want to work through this problem, then you're going to have to do it face-to-face -face, where no one can fire off an email and walk away. So you have to sit face-to-face, knee-to-knee, and say, okay, what did you hear me say? I heard you say my butt looks big in these jeans. Okay, what I meant to say was those jeans are nice. Okay, well, I didn't hear that. Okay. Let me word it this way and see if you hear it that way if I change the wording. Um, it saves a bigger fight later if you're willing to go through the awkwardness of uh, sassafras. Sassafras. Um, because it takes that moment. It's that random word that you shout out during a fight that's getting ready to start that everybody's like, whoa, did you just say sassafras? Yes, you just pissed me off. 
okay, well, what did you hear me say? And then being able to fix it there instead of it rolling into, well, 10 years ago, your mother. Um, I mean, now you're not even on topic anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So making the commitment, and it has to be a commitment that you follow and you don't break, that we will stand here. No one gets to walk away. Use your safe word when everybody's is understanding what everybody's saying. And maybe you did tell her that her butt looked big in the jeans. I mean, and you've got your own fight to fight at that point. I can't help you with sassafras or margarita <laughs> or anything. Um, but you have to agree that you're going to stand there and talk about it. Yeah, I would say that this is definitely some free pro bono because uh, <laughs> it's almost like you're talking about me. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you, can, you can steal my safe word. <laughs> right. <laughs> sassafras. <laughs> so so let, let's try to get to some questions that we have. Um, about sassafras. Steven said, can you comment on setting expectations of a psyche vow versus how the clients are interpreting the psyche vow, i.e. a client it's thinking automatic 100, but medical evidence, CMP gets rated at 50% per se. Um, can you touch on your method as far as when you're looking at where someone's range is at? Because I think that's a better way to look at it. People have ranges versus you're just not a number. So the problem with uh, the DBQ form is it is ridiculously vague, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one of those symptom questions, depending on how you read it, you need about 20 different things. So it's important to list your symptoms and then trust that the provider who's doing the eval understands what it is the VA actually means there and trust them in that process to do the best they can for you so that you get the reading that you deserve. And it doesn't come back as, well, this isn't what I'm seeing at the CMP exam because it was interpreted wrong. I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of people check off disoriented to time and place. That doesn't have anything to do with spacing off when you're driving down the road and then missing your turn. That's not what it means. This is a sign of dementia. This means if you are lost and someone says, can I help you? Where do you live? You can't tell them. Or they ask you what year it is and you think it's 1987. That's disorientation. The other issue is a short-term memory issue or a concentration issue. It's not disorientation. So you have to kind of trust that those things are worded to be vague. They're meant to encompass a lot of things, but they may not always encompass what you're hoping they will because you're, you don't have those symptoms. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna manifest them later, but right now that's not what that means, okay? And it's in your best interest moving forward to have things documented correctly so that when things are evaluated and disability ratings are set, it actually matches with where you are. So I've met with a lot of people who come in with like a 10% rating, which means when they were rated before, they felt a little sad. That has changed over the course of time to major depressive disorder, recurrent, severe. They have the symptoms now because everything's compounding on top of each other. And through the conversation of the, the eval, you get a sense of where the person is, and then you go through those symptoms with them. Um, 
and then get the appropriate boxes checked. There's a lot of training that goes into completing this PTSD evaluation. It's not just something that you pick up and, and um, kind of run with. We are trained to understand what those different things are meant to say <laughs> as opposed to what it looks like they might say. Does that make sense? And that's a good that's a good point because you do have some individuals they'll say, Dr. Sharp, I could just print this form out and take it to my licensed, you know, social clinical worker or the psychologist where I go for therapy who's not versed or understands PTSD per se, but it's a medical form, right? They can just check some boxes and I'll be fine. Um, and to that point, what you add is that forensic specialty, but can you touch also on the nexus arguments? I think that's also a part of this where it's like I tell sometimes my veterans, the VA at times is not negating that you have said symptom or disability. The argument now is, is it service connected? And that begins a nexus conversation. Can you talk about that? So it's, I mean, again, this is something that um, you need to kind of think about before you come in and understand what your stressors were, what those were when you sit down for that evaluation um, so that we can get details. It doesn't always have to be years and names and that level of detail because honestly we're, we're pretty limited on this form for space, but knowing what happened about when it happened and then allow the provider to then pull out of you how that affected you so we can connect it to your service and connect it then to how you're experiencing the world now. Um, but coming in with an idea of what's bothering you and not just what started bothering you when you started thinking about the evaluation. Um, that's a big distinction too. This needs to be a longstanding kind of issue for you not, you know, when I started thinking about having this eval, I started not sleeping well. Okay, well, that, that's not recurrent distressing dreams. But um, knowing what your experience was is very important when you come in so that we can gather the information and then get the supporting evidence put in there and can connect it to your service-related activities. Solid. Dr. Shaw, what would you say is the best way for a veteran to be prepared to talk to you for an exam? Um, as far as what, because the nice thing now is that they've done the PLC-5 and mm -hmm. they've done the DBQ and they get a chance to go through and, and fill out some information in those blocks. Um, so I think the best way that they can be prepared is to actually put stuff in the blocks. Okay. It's a good practice for answering those questions to type something in. And far too often we have people that are like, no, 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 no to everything. Well, that doesn't help us kind of know where you're coming from to know where we need to start. So even putting in a couple sentences to get the conversation kind of framed a little bit for your situation would be hugely helpful. And it, there was one, one veteran who was like, I stopped taking that foolishness like uh, 20 years ago for medications. And you were like, okay, but are you on any now? And when we were talking, there were medications that he was taking, but he felt some of them were less effective than others. Um, but when all I have is no, 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 
that doesn't really prepare me for the exam and it doesn't prepare the veteran for kind of talking about their history, what happened to them and how it affects them. Um, and then having kind of that as a precursor to the conversation is very helpful. Also medical records are great. <laughs> <laughs> are great. Benefit snapshots are great. I love those. Love those, Brett James. <laughs> hey man, don't call me out. I only got like two outstanding. I'm good. I mean, just just because I had a client on there for six months. I mean, damn. Yeah, yeah. man. That well, is Huh? Yeah. Did that yes. Answer it? Okay. Sassafras. Sassafras. Ron is still That's trying to get some free there. I'm sorry. You guys know what I'm dealing with over here. I got two little ones in the tub back here. It's it's madness. I'm I'm gonna need some therapy after my wife gets back from her trip. Good God. <laughs> so twins uh, this is, on potty training. <laughs> so uh, so so for those that are not aware, what Dr. Sharp just talked about as far as the questions, uh, I wanted to share this because when you're signing up one key advice is take your time and answer these questions. So for example, here we have the sign up form, right? So I put in my information and I'm going to go through this. There's a lot of questions in here and we're working on updating these things and having like a progress bar and things like that that eventually will make its way here. But really sit down and don't treat this like a five minute thing. Take as long as you can yeah. and be honest with yourself because this will give Dr. Sharp, Dr. Swanholm, and the other psychs the ability when they see you to have a read ahead. No different than when you go to a doctor and you fill out the forms before you see the doctor and they're able to see where you're at to be able to better help you and maximize the time. When people ask, how can Dr. Sharp or any other psychologist do what they do in such a short period of time, this right here, it helps because you're answering those questions and giving them a read ahead of what your symptoms are. Yeah, so and don't time. don't let this be the first time you're trying to figure out what kind of medicine you're on and dosages and all that. Like, have that done, you know, know what, what medicines you're on before you get to this form. Like, here you go. Yeah. Have your, have your medical records handy. Yeah, ha yeah, yes, yeah. have them ready. Those are great. And in the folder. In the folder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Step one in your elite experience. And, and if you're, yeah, and if and if we send you to the doc to discuss possible somatic symptom disorder, make sure they have your service-connected disabilities before you have the conversation because they can't accurately assess that you, you know, you are suffering from something if they don't verify your 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 service-connected disabilities as well. That's just a little. You know, I do go over that with all my clients, but I just want to put that out there for anybody out there listening. That is why we're on you. That is why our assistants are bugging you for your records. That's why we're bugging you for e-benefit snapshots. It's for Dr. Sharp to be, to do better, right? To, to, to do. To help better yes, assist you. Absolutely. To better assist you. Courtesy of Brent. Not, not piss, yeah. not be <laughs> old Dr. Sharp's naughty boy list. That's for sure. So an alibi for the group. We're going to try to go for another five, 10 minutes. If you have any questions, please post them so we can try to get to them as we begin to close it out. Um, one question in a group, Dr. Sharp uh, from Mr. Hobley. I buried around 240 troops in service. Does this qualify as a potential stressor? Absolutely. I talked to one guy who, today who was on the 
notifi the death notification detail for his unit mm. and can still hear the screams of the wife when he went to tell her that he was gone. Mm. Um, he remembers walking in and saying uh, she was holding a baby. Can I hold the baby? Before they started the conversation. And just to give her the chance to grieve, but she knew what was coming and he can still hear her scream. I mean, that that is grief at a level that just does not leave you. Um, it's trauma to be with somebody who is experiencing that level of loss. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And absolutely, I think being on um, funeral detail is just, it's ridiculously hard. Yeah, yeah. I've been there, uh, one of them, uh, mm -hmm. death detail. My Mike Gibson asks, where do we find his form? When you talk to your VCE, uh, they'll give you the link to sign up for the Psyche Val. Before you sign up to speak to one psychologist, that form I showed uh, will be the first part. Uh, one question that came up, Dr. Sharp, uh, can, this is uh, one of my veterans, Rachel, she asked, can we veterans progress with treatments without support? Daunting. Um, you can progress um, with, can you progress without treatment? With treatment, but without support. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is about your, your experience with that trauma. It's not about anybody else's experience. So if you decide that you want to change your perspective from your old normal to your new normal, you can do that without someone there holding your hand. You absolutely can. It comes down to your core resilience and your desire to do this for yourself. Because in the long run, you're the one that has to live with the emotional and physical and cognitive and just trying to breathe. You're the one that has to deal with it, not anybody else. So you can do this. You absolutely can do it. And you can be successful doing it because you're going to do it for yourself, not for anybody else. Uh, Bill W. in the Zoom, you had your hand up for a while. Anybody in the Zoom that might have a question, please raise it. Um, Kristen, you have a question, so let's allow you to talk. And you are unmuted. Hi there. Hey, Kristen. Hey. So my question is, is if we get therapy through the VA, and they deem us, oh, well, you're all better. Does that, will that ever change our um, disability? Like once we get rated for like something psychiatric? I don't know. I, yes, okay. So the way that it works, I mean, in theory, right? So the way that everything in theory works is that you are being compensated for the amount that you are disabled for the effect it will have on your work and on your life. Um, so if you're doing therapy and for some reason, and we have this happen to vets, you go into a session one day and it may be something random. You may be going for your foot and they may say, how's your PTSD? And you might say, oh, it's fine. That will get you reduced or it can get you reduced. So, right. And one key word in that is, is, an, is a continued gradual improvement. Right. Because Dr. Sharp can probably attest that when it comes to these conditions, it's like a pendulum. 
you know, you have an, a veteran that can be 100%, let's say, one day, the next day have a good day, and kind of that goes back and forth. So the VA looks at a sustained, gradual improvement over a period of time. So that's why you see at times there's a spacing for reevaluations of three to five years because a one-month treatment or two-month treatment is not necessarily going to change drastically things outside of some intensive training or rather therapy, but the VA kind of comes back after so many years to see how have you been over the last three or five years. So all those sessions, therapy, et cetera, all that's being weighed out in there. Uh, so that's, that's looked at essentially as the overall picture for either improvement, baseline maintenance, or things getting worse, which we do see yeah. as well. Yeah. And just a PSA for all everybody out there listening and tuning in. Um, whenever you file a claim, you open all of your disabilities up for evaluation. Like, so people have to know that, right? So, so just be aware of that. If you open a new claim up, then all of your, all of your disabilities can be, can be evaluated at that time. Um, there's a clock that is running on your disabilities. And when you file a new claim, you're, you're in a sense, resetting your, 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 your clock there. So I just wanted to put that out there. I came in on the tail end and, uh, um, want to make sure, you know, that vets understand that like, yes, they can't ask you about other things in there. And like, you'll hear, you'll hear Chris Borum say, it's always a bad day at the VA. <laughs> Never a good day at the VA. Never a good day at the VA. Yeah. And yes, I'll also that uh, sometimes you don't even have to open a claim to get reevaluated. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. So, yep. And they re and so it's almost like they knew I was seeking treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then as soon as I finished that program, hopped into another one, then I must be healed. Right. And so all of a sudden I get notification that, uh, that I've got a compensation and pension exam, never filed, never opened a claim that I have the pending claim, nothing. And uh, so it can happen. Does that answer your question, uh, Kristen? Yeah, it did. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Someone asked uh, Dr. Sharp, do they need a PCL-5? Um, can you talk about those two things? They're kind of highlighted in the questionnaire piece. So the PCL-5 is the uh, gold standard for um, PTSD review, okay? Um, that's, there's a cutoff score, there's different um, sections of that form that all need to be elevated to kind of um, put you in the PTSD realm. Um, not every evaluation is going to, um, it's going to, report a PCL-5. Um, if you're coming in with um, uh, just a somatic symptom disorder, then the PCL-5 isn't as important as like the PHQ-9 or the GAD-7 that I do. Um, it is important though, I think, to look through it if you're not sure. If you're unsure if your symptoms are at a PTSD level, then you should absolutely take it. Uh, because it gives you an idea of what the symptoms and categories are from, uh, from a PTSD framework. So it's never terrible to kind of expose yourself to um, that framework and just say, you know what, I looked through that, I answered those questions, this is where I'm at. And it may not ping on PTSD, but you got a chance to kind of look through what those symptoms are and evaluate if they apply to you or not. So it's never a bad thing to take assessments. Um, if you go to the VA, they're gonna 
give you a whole slew of them that um, I, I, it's never bad to assess yourself on multiple levels. Okay. Uh, one point to share with the Facebook group that was in the Zoom, uh, the question was put, Dr. Sharp, can you address setbacks and how best to deal? Dr. Sharp uh, type back, setbacks happen in all areas of life, right? So understanding that this is a normal process of healing or changing is a huge part of moving forward. Take a deep breath, move forward. The setbacks become fewer and further between as you progress. Wow, that was beautifully written. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a nice segue for, for, for me as far as uh, to ensure I don't have any setbacks. I have got to go and uh, take my happy pills, the pills that I call them happy pills because they keep me alive. So, <laughs> so uh, fish and pills, fish and pills is what we call them in VA <laughs> in the VC experience. Yeah, <laughs> fish and pills. Boy, that was good. Before I sign off, Dr. Sharp, I wanted to thank you for your time. Uh, thank you so much for what you do in, in serving our veterans alike across the world. Because do know that, guys, we are global. Um, yeah. And uh, and it's that, that health network that we have that are some outstanding individuals. From San Fran to Bangkok to Saudi Arabia and the Philippines, <laughs> we literally talk to everyone. Everybody. Chris, so. before you leave, though, because you, you, you might... Uh, log out give us your parting vce tip one thing we do dr sharp towards the end is we all kind of give one tip or advice or comment to share with our folks so before chris leaves us uh what's your vc tip of yeah the real quick uh you know so normally my tips kind of come from my week right so my week has been fulfilled with individuals wanting to self-diagnose um i had a few I had a almost it was like i was talking to the same person or having deja vu I was like, hey, man, my uh, my wife says I snore. So, no, I, I was like, uh, okay, so I see that you filed for obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, you, but however, you got denied. And I was like, well, what happened? Tell me a little bit about that. So uh, he says, well, you know, my wife said that I snored, so I filed for it. I was like, okay, so you don't have a diagnosis and or a CPAP machine? Like, nah, 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 I don't have one of those the next following day, almost like the same scenario, right? So folks, just um, do not self-diagnose, uh, please, as uh, it, it can only hurt you when it comes time to file your claim, right? So if, if anything, uh, and we've shared this, you know, tons of times, it's kind of like on repeat now, but, um, you know, tip of the day is, hey, go get a diagnosis. You know, it will help your claim. And then stay on top of that. And then we've also talked about, um, we also talked about uh, reaching out to your uh, primary care provider via secure messaging on myhealthyvet.com. Kind of get that, get that uh, conversation going because I, here's, here's a good thing. They have to respond back to you within 24 to 48 hours, right? So you got, that, you got a response. And then two, they have to write the notes down that you had uh, on the conditions that you were complaining about that you want to get seen for. You know, member says that they're having chronic pain or, or veteran said patient saying that they have chronic pain and this and this and this and this. Because primarily, folks, what we don't do is that continuity of care. And that's uh, that's super important. So that's my tip. No more self-diagnosing and, uh, and contact your primary care provider. If it, And it doesn't have necessarily have to be at the VA. It can be in a private sector. Just, just go talk to them. Go get seen. Especially at the VA, if you're over, you know, a certain percentage, 30%, 50%, you know, hey, 
All this stuff is free. So awesome. that's my time, people. Thank you so much, fellas. Last question for you, Dr. Sharp, and then we'll start doing our closeouts is uh, where, where is Daryl <laughs> asks, can it be negative if your provider suggests meeting with a therapist, but you tell them that you'd rather try meds first? Can it be negative? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. Um, just understand that meds are never meant to be used on their own. Meds are meant to be used in conjunction with therapy. Um, so you may feel a kind of dulling effect on your symptoms, but your symptoms aren't going to go away. They're not going to decrease because all the same triggers are there. You're just dulling it with a med. So unless you're pairing the med with treatment, you can expect to be on that med for a while. Um, because you're not doing anything to change how you're reacting to your environment. Awesome. Brett, what's, what's your uh, closing tip comment? Um, well, we're on the subject of mental health. Like everybody out there watching, all Chris, Dave, Ronis, myself, we are all veteran claims experts. We love what we do. We literally do this every day of the week. We eat, sleep, breathe disability claims. We do our best for you guys, but bear witness. We all are suffering. We all have a mental health diagnosis. All, all your VCEs probably are dealing with some sort of Brian hires disabled veterans. So we are truly dealing with uh, these issues as well. So keep that in mind. We're not always going to have our best day when we're dealing with you or speaking with you. And if you're having a bad day, we might be having a bad day too. So sometimes two bad days don't, don't, don't equal up, you know, and, and we don't ever, um, I know I'm always trying to be in the best mood possible for my clients, but some days it's hard. You know what I mean? Uh, some days I'm having, uh, I need a, like David calls them have a take a mental health day. Um, but we are always on doing this job. We are always trying to serve you guys and we're always trying to do our best. And it's a lot of pressure and it is a lot of pressure to be, um, we are not your, you're not our only client. We've got a lot of clients that we're taking care of. So just keep that in mind. Just it, you're dealing with your anxiety. Well, imagine what your anxiety times 20 times 50 is doing on top of your VCE. So, you know, if there's a question that you think you could ask on mastermind, or I send out an email with a ton of information, I got the portal available for you. Um, try those places before you text me at nine 30 at night asking, Hey, uh, can you send me my Google folder link, Brett? You know, it's just like simple stuff like that, that, you know, try to take care of yourself at the same time. And I got two boys in the bath right now. I got to get to. So we are real people. I, we, I are not, we are not VC robots. We got <laughs> lives going on. We got wives who demand our time. We got kids who demand our time. So we try our best. And the one on this mental health segment, I just wanted to get across to, to uh, everyone out there, like, Always consider your VCE's mental health as well, please. And I love you. God bless you. Good night. I, I'm out. <laughs> I, I can attest. I can tell Woo! you, I, I had a uh, schedule snafu this week. Yeah. So I had a I had a vacation uh, with the family. Drove to South Carolina from Virginia Beach, uh, from Virginia rather. And my calendar reopened itself and got rebooked and had to cancel calls again. Mm. I was out of town, but I had to put out fires because people were like. You know, I can't talk to you right now and dealing with all that. And I literally got back from South Carolina 
30, 40 minutes before we went live. <laughs> so, you know, I still haven't Coming, eaten guys. since driving eight hours straight. Uh, but we Sorry. do this because of the fact that, you know, we want to give to you. So what I would give for my tip is, like I said earlier, utilize the tools that we're giving you here. Like one of my biggest focuses our, our strategy call, but the CMP conversation is the biggest one to prepare for that. And what I would offer to you is to understand your DBQ. If you have a session with one of our psychologists, knowing how to use that and leverage that uh, when the CMP comes. Um, it's no different than if I were to walk in, let's say, to see, like I said earlier, a urologist. And I'd say, for example, you know, I have seen another urologist and I know I have, you know, an enlarged prostate. I'm now not self-diagnosing to Chris's point. I am using medical documents from another doctor as proof to have a conversation now. When you're going to the VA, regardless of what, you know, don't prepare, like Brett has said before, don't prepare for the examiner, prepare for the exam. And I say that to say that Dr. Sharp explained what grossly inappropriate behavior was. Before your session with her, for example, you might have not known that that was a thing. So when you're walking in to talk to this psychologist for your CMP, who above all things is a medical provider, you can leverage the conversation you had with one of our psychologists. It's not so much that you walk in and say, here's a DBQ, take this. No, it's the same way you would treat any doctor visits to, to say, I didn't know, Dr. Smith, that it was not normal for me to go out and check my mail naked that it was not normal to chase somebody down the freeway with a bat and do stuff. But I was made aware after my evaluation with a specialist, Dr. Sharp, that I have grossly inappropriate behavior. That's not normal. I thought it was normal. I've been doing it for the past 20, 30 years. So now you're using that DBQ as a backboard to be able to make your arguments, right? It's about being smart. It's no different than any other condition. If you were diagnosed with, a, let's say, cancer and you went to get a second opinion, you wouldn't just walk in and throw the paper at the new doctor. You would tell them what you have so far, the previous diagnosis, what you have or you're dealing with, and you would have a conversation. It's the same exact thing that you need to do when the CMP comes. You have to look at it from that perspective, go in prepared, knowing your truth, knowing your symptoms and what you're dealing with. Because ultimately, someone else is going to make a decision based off those symptoms and what's available to them. It's not so much just, here's something, give it to me. So, you know, be prepared, use the information wisely, talk to your VC, know your story code, know your reality. Because ultimately, as it comes to those higher ratings, you need to be able to speak to those symptoms and competency. So that would be my tip to understand and know what is in there and make the most out of the investment you made for a psychological evaluation. Ronis. Oh, man, you got me all doing something else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was working. All right. Um, I have three things. Mine aren't about mental health, though. So if you if Dr. Sharp wants to hang out, I got like 10 minutes worth of stuff to talk about. Oh, can I go then? Yes, I yes. That's what I said, because I, I know Dr. <laughs> Sharp doesn't want to stay. Dr. Sharp <laughs> wants to leave, because I'm going to talk about the portal. And so okay. since I have an oh. audience. So we'll, we'll let Dr. Sharp. Yeah, uh, Dr. Dr. Sharp, Sharp, thank you. Love you. Thank we'll you let, so much for what you do. Thank we'll you. Let her close out with her tip. Yeah, what's your tip, Dr. Sharp? Not as bad as you think it's going to be, okay? This, this DBQ is not nearly as scary as you're making it out to be. You're going to be fine. It's less painful than a root canal and it's over before you know it. Okay. So take a deep breath. Trust that we are honestly here to help. Um, we're not here to hurt you and trust the process. 
Okay. Press the Take process. Breath, log in. And hey, guess what? You can also do. You can use the link to the DoxyMe site and check to make sure your technology works before your appointment. You can use it as many times <laughs> as you want. It doesn't just work once. Um, so check your technology before your appointment so that all of that runs smoothly. Cause I know I have things scheduled back to back and um, it decreases your anxiety as well for the appointment to know that you're gonna have video and audio up and working. Um, so check your tech, okay? Awesome. All right, guys. Dr. Sharp, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Thank you so much for being here. We will bring you back and continue because there's many more we didn't get to. Sorry we didn't answer your okay. question. Do Dr. Sharp, like this took two and a half hours. We owe her $2,000. <laughs> Bye, <guys. laughs> Bye, Dr. Sharp. Dr. Sharp. Sassafras. Sassafras, uh, Brett. Brett, my boys, Sassafras. My boys are here drinking bath water. I got to. I yes. know. That's yes. Sassafras Let's there. get it. What's going on with the portal, Ronis? <laughs> no, man, I just, uh, since I have what, a captive Peter, audience. They, Peter, they, this is not the, this is not the, Peter is shaking my it? head. Peter's in the comments of, Peter, uh, this is not really the place to complain about a VCE, brother. Like, you're, we're, we're, all we do <laughs> is like you're on a VCE show uh, talking about your VCE. Um, P, PM one of us and, and we'll, we'll see what's going on, brother. I, I. I'm sorry. Sorry, Ronis. It's, 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 uh, trust me, I get it. We're um, talking about, you know, that, understand that your VCs are going through stuff and then somebody's like, I got a complaint about my VCE. It's not well, really the... Sassafras. 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 Right. So, one, I don't know if Todd is here and I'm upset that Todd has not been on the show again. I feel kind of bad about that because Todd is my best friend. Um... Two, uh, I just want to, before everybody leaves, since Dr. Sharp is gone, um, uh, just go into a little bit about the portal. Um, we just rolled the portal out, what, starting January, uh, July, was the, the rollout of the portal. Um, it was myself and one other person. And so we had to make, what, almost 3,000 portals that we're up to now for everybody that's at some point in the company or going through it or whatever. So we've done about 3000 so far and going right. Um, and you can, this is current. So a lot of people have had some issues with the portal or trying to figure out what's going on with the portal. Like I said, it is not your VCE's fault. Um, for the most part, it is either a technology issue, something that my team has missed or something that we're doing. We are putting in steps to make it better and we are getting better day by day. So again, if your VCE told you that you were supposed to get your portal in three days and you don't have it, don't wait two weeks before you say something. Um, reach out to your VCE and they'll reach out to me and we'll we'll figure out what's going on. Can I share in this, DP? Uh, yes. Let's see. I want to show the screen um, just in case everybody that's and this is again, this is for elite clients only. So once you get your portal email password, I'm sorry, it'll be your password, your username, and the link. It'll be this link to click on. This is the screen you should be on. If you are on any other screen, it is not correct. So don't try to log in. Don't try to do anything. Um, it will not work. Once you are here, copy and paste your username, and your password. Um, some of you guys try to type it in. It doesn't work. You have issues. 
whatever, copy and paste both. The reason that you have to copy and paste both is that sometimes your username might have a space in it between your first name and your last name. And again, most people aren't used to, to seeing that, right? And so you try to type it in like normal, you don't put your space and then you get the, the screen that you don't know how to do math, right? So even if you put it in right, if your password is wrong, it'll say that you failed to answer this. So it's not just, this is the kind of the default answer. It won't just say sometimes your password is wrong. So I'd say make sure you're copying and pasting your username and your password. Um, if that still doesn't work, reach out to your VCE. They'll reach out to me and we'll, we'll get it solved. So that's all I had to say about that. And then I got, you know, my, my clothes and stuff. So, and then in conclusion, uh, for me, and I think DP will probably hit on this too, is that we are again, getting closer to our charitable funds, right? So DP is headlining his, um, his veteran relief fund that we've been talking about for about a week now. And we also are donating to some other, um, yeah, Billy, just send me a, um, Billy's asking about the portal. Billy, send me a DM about your portal and we'll get it resolved. Um, okay. So, uh, we're doing our veteran relief fund. And again, this relief fund is to help veterans that may need um, exams that can't pay for it or other things that are going on as the fund grows. Um, we are also donating to a charity of the group's choice, except for the first one. We want to keep it to small charities that help vets in some ways, because some of the larger charities they have backing, right? Like, you know, whatever charity you can name probably has a, a, a large backing. So we want to try to do some of the smaller ones that are in the community and the neighborhood that are doing good things. So I think the first one um, we're going to decide is going to be the service dogs, right, DP? Yep. And so what's the name of, I don't want to get it wrong. So the service organization uh, that actually I, I worked with um, and I'm going to the process is a MK nine S service dogs uh, located in Virginia. So they're a small company uh, that are nonprofit working with veterans with PTSD and various issues. Uh, we'll share this link, but part of the process that we're looking at is for this go around, Ronis will touch on what he's going to do to contribute to it, but we're going to essentially raise some funds and we're going to have half go to the veteran relief fund uh, that we'll use as needed for veterans that might truly not be able to even afford um, any of the services, a DBQ or Nexus letter or anything. Uh, so we'll have those that we can gift and pay forward for those cases that need that. And then the other half will be uh, for um, a charitable organization like MK9 Service Dogs that works with veterans. Um, and then after this run, we'll do it in a quarry type of fashion to where we'll do it another run and then we'll find another small organization. And again, half will go to the relief fund and half will go to another small organization. Uh, so one of the things that we talked about before, if you guys recall, we've had a challenge coins that we were uh, put together. So we're gonna bring those back and essentially that'll be part of what we'll be able to uh, sell and then all profits from that will be then divvied up as explained. And then Ronis will touch on what he is going to also contribute uh, on his on his end. Yeah. So um, like most of you guys know, or if you watch the show, um, I own a T-shirt company as well. Uh, we've been in business for a while now. Um, and so we'll be doing shirts. Um, if there are any graphic designers in the group that want to offer up a design, 
Um, it could be about anything, you know, it could be about a holiday, anything that's um special to you guys, and we'll put it up to a vote, right? Um, whichever one wins, we'll sell the t-shirts, and again, 100% of the profits, 50% to the relief fund, 50% to the um the charity of the group's choice outside of this one. Um, we haven't decided if we're gonna change quarterly or change, you know what I mean, monthly. But we'll let you guys know. But just want to know that we got some things, man, just to make sure that, you know, we're all playing it forward, right? We all, you know, get wrapped up in our own selves sometime. And, you know, it's a, it's a big world out there. So we just want to make sure that we can do something to help people that may need it. And you'll so. see polls that we'll put out there. So this is just to kind of kickstart it. But then going forward, our, our goal and idea is to have options for, let's say, the T-shirts that people can decide on. And then also for what, let's say, three organizations with their information uh, that the community decides to uh, vote on. Right. So we want to make it a community thing to where we'll find three organizations um, that uh, I like that, Mike. Yeah. Some disabilities can't be can't be seen. Um, but you know, we'll have the sales through organizations. You can do your research, put your votes on it. We'll tally it up. We'll have a cutoff date. And then the goal is to then have a shipment time, right? So it won't be like an Amazon thing. We just go and order it. Rather, we'll just kind of build up to it. We'll have a closeout date, get the orders in, and then we'll go to the process of actually shipping those out. So it'll be a strategic, you know, laid out plan. Uh, so we'll look at time interval depending on the community's, um, you know, buy-in and support. Yeah. So that was it. I didn't. I don't have any tips this week. Just uh, if you have portal issues, don't blame your VCE. It's probably my fault. Um, but we are working and getting better. So blame, blame Ronis. That's be a shirt. <laughs> yeah, blame me. Todd hates me. You can too. That's the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that that's it, man. Yeah. That's all I got, man. Thank you all for um, tuning in. Yeah. What? Rex Rex had a question, but he never answered. Asked it. So. Oh. Rex is um, my Rex is mine. I Rex is I got Rex. Okay, Rex okay. will email me. That's my that's my dude right there. I got Rex, him and Sunshine, his wife. Rex okay. said you have bad days, but you put no, 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 no. Rick, Rex Rex said through. Rex said no. Rex, Rex said you have bad days. He says but he can attest through. that you have bad days, but you push push through. through. You push through. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm outstanding. That's that's a that's false. <laughs> That's some haber haberdashery. What a That's some haberdashery. I'm outstanding at all times. Oh man. All right, man. Well, it's getting late. It's yeah, getting late. I'm getting yeah. 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 Thank, thank you, you for, for coming. Bam. Love y'all, man. Post this on Appreciate the group, y'all. And you'll see it eventually posted also on YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll signing see out. From, yeah, we're going. Time. We're going on YouTube. We'll be on uh, the the Insider Channel, right? Where right. the Insiders YouTube channel. We made it, Ma. We made it. Sassafras. <laughs> Sassafras to your dance too. All right, man. I'm out. See you, Insiders. Have a good one.